Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys duck comics, and I am joined by a, re- by a returning guest host, Joachim Gunnarsson. Can you uh, introduce yourself and tell us about your connection to these comics? Thank you. Sure. I'm also a grown man, uh, a kid at heart, a duck fan, uh, Carl Bark's fan, a super fan. So it's a pleasure being on your show. Speaking about this story or just uh, Barks in general, I think I read too much Barks because I'm so heavily influenced by his stuff when I write my own comic, uh, which I do have some, uh, an own comic in Sweden called Cat and Nils. Uh, we made some, a few adventure stories. But speaking about this particular story that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, why don't you um, go ahead and, and tell us what, what are we covering today, Joachim? Yes, we are covering a long classic Karl Barks story from the early 50s called The Horse Radish Story, or at least that's one of the titles. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think that Barks didn't title this uh, originally, or at least it wasn't printed in the comic. So he had to make up some titles uh, when he was asked by the fans. Uh, do you remember any of those titles? Yeah, I I really like one of the alternate titles. Um I think Trouble from Long Ago, that, yeah. that's my favorite. I know there, there was at least one other that was in some correspondence, but I, I can't remember that one. <laughs> okay, well, this story, uh, I mean, I read most of the Bark stories as a very young kid, because my, my father was a duck fan. Uh, when he was a kid, he started collecting, um, buying Disney comics in Sweden back in 1956. A few issues randomly, but in 1957, he began to buy them all. And he continued to do so until he was around 1920, back in 1969. Mm-hmm. And my grandparents, I mean, when he moved away from home, he left all these Disney comics with uh, my grandparents. So when I was a kid, I loved visiting them because they had stacks and stacks of comics from the golden age in the closet. That's a treasure trove. Sure. And I wasn't even allowed to look at them all because... <laughs> They handed me a few. I said, oh, well, we got more. I want to see more. Well, next birthday, next Christmas. So, yeah, I, I love visiting uh, visiting them. However, this particular story, the horse radish story, was published in Sweden back in, I think it was 1956. Yeah, 1955. You see, that's a year before my father started buying comics. And the first reprint was published in 1970, the year after my father stopped collecting comics. <laughs> and the next reprint was in 1986, when I was around 12. So I don't believe I ever read it as a kid. And therefore, I don't have this strong emotional connection to this story as I do have with most of Bark's other stories. So uh, I'm looking at this story from a kind of different perspective, since I don't have this nostalgic feeling for it. What about you? Yeah, you know, I I have pretty much the same story as you, to be honest. Like like okay. you, I had these, I, I collected, I, I think I probably collected kind of on the same time frame as your dad, where I started getting them, maybe a little bit younger. I was about seven, I think. 
And once I figured out Carl Barks, you know, I I grabbed everything I could. Once a reprint, once a story was newly reprinted, I would I would get that. Once I got all of the contemporary ones, I started to like look through the back issue bins. And this one, just for whatever reason, it escaped me for a very long time. And yeah. so it was like pretty late. I think I was into my teens, but I knew enough about Barks to know that it was a pretty famous Barks story. And I, I finally managed to get a hold of like the very first American reprint of it, which was the gold key. Yeah, you're looking at the same one there, except you've got the Whitman-like icon there. It might be that this might have been the first time I read it. Yeah. So oh, yours is a 40 center. Mine's the 20 cents. So that's the next, I think that's the um, third time around. Okay. But, but, but regardless, like... I went a long time knowing about this story and being really, really curious about it. Um, and so it wasn't one of the stories that I read like a hundred times as a child. And, and I've got to say, when I finally got to it, I enjoyed it, but it, I didn't. I didn't love it the way I did some of the like reprinted over and over from that era, like only a poor old man and back to the Klondike and, and, and so on and so forth. Exactly. But I just read that Fred Milton, uh, the great uh, Disney comic artist, woodpick artist, and his own uh, Gnuff, now reprint as Nuft in the US, he said on Facebook that if I was to pick the best Barks story ever, it would be this one. So it's got some big name fans. It does. And, and it shows up really high on Index, right? It's consistently like in the top 20s when fans vote for this one. So I've got to ask myself, like, what am I missing? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'll be clear. Yeah. Right. I don't dislike the story. I, I really enjoy it. I just, I, it just doesn't have that same punch for me. So it's interesting that both of us kind of feel the same way that that'll be something that we can keep in mind as we go through the, the story itself. Yeah. Why don't we take a moment? I, I, I gather that you, um, you got to be part of the editorial team in Sweden when this was reprinted one of the last times around, right? Yes, in Swedish, Kalle Anke Extra, which means Donald Duck Extra in, nine, in 2018. Uh, we tried to reprint stories in every issue of this comic book. We uh, are now reprinting a long Karl Bark story as a main feature. And for this issue number six, 2018, it was time for as it's called in Sweden. And um, together with the editorial team, I wrote a text piece about it. And um, yeah. It's got to feel a little bit daunting being kind of in charge of introducing these Bark stories to like contemporary readers. Yes. And uh, nowadays, I'm um, the main editor of this comic book. Back in 2018, I was just a part of the team. Now I oversee every page of this comic book, and I try to make every special effect, or all the lettering perfect, uh, giving um, my teammates sometimes, they must think I'm... A little bit demanding? Yes. Detail-oriented? Exactly. If something was wrong in the previous printing, I wanted to correct it. I want this, this printing to be the perfect printing that's always what i i imagine that every time an, a company uh, a publisher reprints it they're probably thinking to the to themselves right where this is the 
seventh or the 13th printing of this story, you know, they've got to make a decision. Am I just going to put it out there? Or am I going to put it out there with some kind of like commentary? Am I going to really focus on, on making sure the coloring and the lettering is perfect? Am I going to try and make the definitive version? And everyone has a little bit of a different idea of what that definitive version is, right? Exactly. Because the this version uh, has got some coloring well, lots and lots of gradients. And I will show you, uh, since I see you on screen here, you, the listeners, will just have to imagine this, but it's an underwater sequence where the colorist has gone bonkers with uh, using gradients in every panel, everywhere. And, and that would be computer-assisted, right? Yes. And I mean, some people love this. I don't. So it's also a matter of thinking, what is the best version in which way which way showcases bark's vision of this story the best way I, th I think that too many gradients takes away from bark's art and the storytelling because they can take over and you become conscious about the coloring instead of reading the story yeah so i do prefer some more subtle colors yeah that's totally right like i go back and forth right because i love the coloring on like the carl barks library um yeah. in the 90s and i know that that was computer assisted but mm -hmm. but to my eye what they did is they tried to like computer assist but to help what the human hand and the human eye could do not to substitute so i i don't know it's it's one of those things where i i can't describe what i like about it but I know that I like it. And I yeah. think that like Susan Daigle Leach, who oversaw that, I believe, mm -hmm. I think she did a stunning job on it. But I know it's not to everyone's taste. Yeah, I love her early stuff. Then I think that there were too many gradients. So sure, I like some of her stuff. I dislike some of her stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, some of the background of the actual story. The sure. The first, the first publication in, in the States was in Four Color 495, and um, that was in July of 1953. Yes. And um, this one's a little bit shorter than kind of its contemporaries, right? Most of the, yeah. most of the stories that were in early Uncle Scrooge, um, oh, and I, I guess I I neglected to mention it is the four color, but it's alternately called Uncle Scrooge number three, because, you know, when they when they went and gave Uncle Scrooge his own monthly title or or bimonthly or whatever, when they gave him his own title, they started the numbering at number four. So officially, this is um, this is both an Uncle Scrooge and a four color. Uh, and, and it has a companion story, a 10 pager. Is it the round money bin? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay, it's got it's got a companion story because it's it's on the short side as far as the adventure stories go, and I I do wonder if that is some of you know what affects kind of my my perception of the story. Um, this one has not been reprinted in the states as often as again some of its contemporaries, mm -hmm. and like for a a long part of my childhood and teenage years, it it didn't show up on the reprint schedule for a while. So it was a little bit harder to find. Exactly, I see only 10 times in the US, but I can tell you that back in 2018, we had only seen uh, six publications of this story. So I felt it was time to 
reprint it again. Right. Yeah. The time was right. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else? I, I do find it interesting to think about the title, right? This is one of the few titles where the like official fan designation feels like a placeholder, right? Oh, it's it's the one with horseradish. It's the horseradish story. Yeah. And let's see. I I know that um, this was the first story. I believe that his his new wife at the time participated in um, doing some of the lettering inking. Exactly. Uh, you can see it on at least uh, a few of the pages. I don't remember exactly which ones. But I have uh, listed that she did most of the lettering on pages one through fourteen. And he did most of 15 through 22. Yeah, looking through the book, you, you, you're probably right. Yes. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, Her lettering is rounder, smoother. Yeah. And uh, I should say that I suspect that she did more than just letter this story. Because when I examine it, uh, I think that she's on Maxu, the villain in the story. A few or most of his panels are kind of not up to par with a regular bark sinking. But hmm. we can talk more about that when we get to those panels. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I know I've seen some speculation that she might have done, you know, on, on hmm. pitched in on some stories. He had yeah. such a prolific output. Yeah. Um, the, the other weird thing is like horseradish has kind of a stylistic, it stands out a little bit, right? But, it's kind of that old-fashioned um, hyphen in the middle, which you don't usually yeah. see. And so you, you don't have that when you usually write that word. Right. Okay. I didn't know. Yeah. To me, when I read it with that, it's very distracting to see that hyphen. Um, just, but, but there's a few words like that. Like in the early Bark stories, I see kidnapped spelled where it looks like it's spelled kidnaped. <laughs> um, and, and it just... I mentally stumble over it while reading. But has can you tell me, Joachim, has horseradish been like re-inked, uh, the, the text redone? Because every every writing of it looks like someone has rewritten it to me. Yes. In the beginning of the story, you can tell that both words, horse and radish, uh, are written by someone else. Yeah. But once you get into the story later on here, it's in some places, it's definitely Bark's own hand, handwriting. And in one place, it's just the word radish that's been re, uh, replaced. I have no clue why. Yeah. It's obviously Bark's wrote horse radish in the end of the story. Yeah, it, it's, it stands out. And I don't usually have like a great eye for that kind of detail, but it even stood out to me. Um, yeah. I, it made me wonder, did the story originally have something else uh and someone decided that like horseradish would fit better was there some other like really potent spice that he was supposed to be hauling or something um i i know that in france this story is called um it refers to cloves in the french title so that kind of made me wonder because there is one panel where Scrooge says, what's that sauce in the paper cup? And horseradish is not a sauce, right? Right. Yeah, you're right. I would call it a condiment. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's not really accurate. So, um, so maybe it's... he changed his mind after a while while drawing the story and then had to went back and change it. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking about. Um, all right. So we've had some good prologue here. Let's uh, let's I mentioned that French title. We'll, we'll 
do, we'll name a couple of the titles from around the world, and then we'll get into the actual story itself. I looked up, I've got three this time. I've got Denmark first, where the Danish title, and you can probably help me out because it's a, it's a Scandinavian language, so you know better than I, but it's Moa Betala and Gamel Gald. Yeah. Um, How bad was that, Joachim? Almost. <laughs> that was pretty good. Mobitel and Gamelgeld. I'm not good at pronouncing Danish. Uh, but this, the title is almost uh, the same as the Swedish one, uh, which is Måste betala en gammal skuld. Uh, that means must pay an old debt. Yeah, same same thing in, in Danish, apparently, but it's like have to pay an old debt is the translation that, that Google Translate gave me. Yeah. So, and I know that back in those days, sometimes the Swedish comics were translated from the Danish translation. Right. So that could be the case, why they had so similar titles. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And then in, in French, I had mentioned the title is Et le Clou de Girofle. Um, okay. And when I put that into translate, it, it, it really shortened it in a way I found suspicious. It just said, and the cloves. Okay. <laughs> so um, maybe I'll put it out on, on Facebook and, and see, you know, if there's maybe a pun in that title or something. And then, boy, I'm really intrigued by the German title. The, mm-hmm. the German title is, um, oh, how do you say 13? Dreisig? Elf, Schwelf. Dreizen. Dreizen. Dreizen, right? Oh. Yeah, Dreizen. Okay. So the, the German title is Dreizen Trillionen. 13 okay. trillion. Okay. Do you know anything about that, Joachim? No, I have no clue uh, why it's called that. Uh, yeah, fascinating. Sorry, yeah, folks. Sure. Someone someone will educate me after I drop the episode. Sure. Uh, if anyone in Germany hears this, please let us know. That's right. 5% of my listenership is German. So someone... <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? I looked up a little bit about horseradish and I learned a little bit interesting. Please tell me. I I found that apparently, in addition to there being studies about horseradish having a nice antibacterial component that can kill harmful bacteria and microbes, it apparently will drive some insects away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Barks did his research before doing the story. Yeah, one of those moments where he seems to have gotten something at least a little bit right. That might have been the inspiration of the start of the story. Could well be. All right. So any any uh, other thoughts you've got before we go through the actual narrative of the story? No, I think you can start with page one. Yeah. Let's let's do this. We're we're gonna do what we usually do. We're we're each gonna summarize a page and then um, just chime in with our observations. And mm-hmm. so I get to do this lead-off page. And um, Parks is so good at his openers. He's so good at his introductions. We get this really great, very intriguing splash panel that is kind of the back to long ago. Right. It, it is the it is our trouble from long ago. And and he shows a shipwreck. His narrator box tells us when it tells us where we learn that this ship, the Golden Goose, that was bound from Glasgow, Scotland to Jamaica, 
sank without warning off the southern tip of Haiti. And Barks um, just so so quickly leads us into the, the meat of the story itself. We get to meet a man who is introduced first in a, a sinister silhouette, and he is bearing a court order that entitles him to every cent of Uncle Scrooge's fortune. And, and Scrooge kind of takes in the document. He points out that it, it stipulates that all he gets to keep is an old suit of clothes, and it further indicates that he owes him any teeth in his possession if he has some. And, and Joachim, it's, it's not until the very last panel of that first page that we get a good look at the man who is the very memorable Chisel McSue. As he says, he is the last heir of the clan McSue. And he just tells Scrooge to, if you want to know more, keep reading. Yeah. Um, and, and, and this and, is interesting because I didn't think about this before you mentioned it about the silhouettes. Because for me, as an artist, I was distracted by having two silhouettes stacked upon each other in two panels above each other. But but of course, it's a, it's a storytelling device that I don't think about. It's yeah, I I, I think it it sorry it, it does it does a great job of engaging the reader with who is this guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as I cover these in order, I'm struck by the fact that this is the second of his stories that I've read that opens with a big splash panel with a mysterious shipwreck because in No Such Varmint, yes, yeah. because, because he does the same thing in No Such Varmint, and they're very reminiscent of each other, but, but very different stories. Yeah. And this first page, I have to say that, you know, when a story gets translated, we have uh, the mention that the Golden Goose was bound from, from Glasgow to Jamaica and sank without a warning of the southern, southern tip of Haiti. In Sweden, it was Gothenburg to Gibraltar, and it, was, um, it sank in the English Channel. Interesting. Yeah, because, you know, Gothenburg is a port, a big port in southern Sweden. In the middle of Sweden, so it's they probably tried to make it make more sense, right, for the Swedish audience. And we'll see that on the next page. But, that but it, it doesn't it doesn't really mesh with the weather of the story. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I mean, I mean, if you try to make sense of the story, the settings in, in the South Seas later on here with, with the coral reefs and everything, it doesn't make sense at all. Right. Yeah, kind of, kind of reminiscent of what is it uh, that the Scandinavians like to localize um, luck of the north as, as Donald Duck in Greenland. Am I remembering that right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is a, a pretty strong opener. Go ahead. But maybe, maybe the punch would have been stronger if Chisel was shown on page two instead of the, at the end of page one. So you yeah. would have a cliffhanger page turn there. You think one one more panel of silhouette, maybe? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But on page two, we'll continue with Scrooge reading this explanation that Shizzle gives him. And we see that it's a flashback, sort of, to their forefathers, um, where the Swindle Maksu uh, talks to Captain Seafoam McDuck. And they make a deal where Seafoam McDuck agrees to transport a case of 
horseradish to Jamaica on the ship, the Golden Goose. And he has to sign a contract and he doesn't have his glasses on, unfortunately. Because, mm -hmm. of course, this contains a fine print which says that he will essentially lose all of, all of his money if he doesn't deliver this stuff. But um, uh, Sivan signs the contract and uh, the ship sinks, of course. All he can save are his gold teeth. And uh, Shizumix, uh, Shizumix's forefather takes over his house and everything, to his surprise. <laughs> yeah, so this is this this is an interesting flashback. This is one of the few times where Barks kind of like dwells on Scrooge's past, or rather like his his lineage. Exactly. And, and there's one panel that I think is not a good storytelling panel, not of the Barks. It's a fourth panel where Seafoam signs the contract. Uh, it reads as if it's spoken in a in a theatrical play. Mm -hmm. Where's that? I misplaced my spectacles. What does that small print say? Oh, well, never mind. It's kind of obvious where, the, where this is going. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. I, I, as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, that panel, um, it's, it's a cool visual of him squinting. And it reminds me of like Scrooge squinting later on in the money well. Yeah. But, um, but it's a little bit on the nose and it feels a little bit like it's kind of hitting you over the head with... Because exactly. um, you get the explanation on the very next page anyway. Yeah. It's interesting too that, you know, Chisel's ancestor, Swindle, they look, they're, they're essentially the same <laughs> character design. Exactly. I'm mm. also struck by how placid Scrooge is while, while he's been kind of taking this in. Right. He's being very like reserved. Barks has him just being very, very stoic and very unemotional. Yeah. Um, and what do you think, Joachim, about this element with the false, with the gold teeth? Oh, what about it? Um... it, it? It stands out. It's I, I don't know. I feel like it's something that I, I want it to work better. Because yeah. it's such a it it's it's almost iconic, right? But then it it's weird. It's every time I see those teeth, I'm just I'm creeped out by them. It's it's extremely weird because we never see the ducks with teeth, <laughs> except for this time with his golden teeth, and it looks looks weird. It yeah. does look like so. I'll go on to the next page where you see Seafoam kind of gritting his teeth at that um, at that contract and the fine print that says. Exactly what you said. The small print pledges all your worldly possessions in the event you fail to deliver the horseradish. And he's gritting those teeth. And I'm just so distracted by it. Um, Maybe that scene was the reason why he used the gold teeth. Just yeah. to draw that panel. Maybe. I think Barks might might just have found the, the very idea of someone demanding your gold teeth yeah. it's just such an indignity i think he probably found it funny i guess boy you know this is obviously it's got a bit of a theme here right contracts this story is interested in contracts and legalese um much in the same way that he was focused in golden helmet on on people using the legal system to like take advantage of each other Exactly. He had not forgotten about those lawyers in real life. Yeah. Yeah. He's not done. Um, he doesn't, <laughs> no, no. we don't have a Sharky in this one, 
right? Chisel just has the, the contract itself. So, so that's what Barks must have been thinking about, that contract maybe as he signed those divorce papers. Yeah, and it says judgment, big letters on the top of it. Right. Yeah. So, so we kind of flash forward back to the present. We, we finished the flashback with, um, with Seafoam uh, ignobly running away from Mixu. And, and then we flash back to Scrooge, who, who sums it up for us, basically, because my ancestor wouldn't give your ancestor a set of gold teeth. I have to give you everything I own. Um, and we got Chisel smirking there saying, that is the law. That's what our villains in the Bark stories like to hide behind. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Mixu tries to rush him out, but Scrooge has been very canny. He points out that he does have his glasses on, and so he can read the fine print. And uh, he notices that he has 30 days to fulfill the contract's original term. Um, and so we, we just transitioned to him asking his nephews for 30 days of their help to, yeah. to their irritation or to Donald's. Exactly. And I, I like to point out, if you look at panel, especially panel four, four and five here, I would say that if you look at Scrooge, okay, he's tiny, but the inking is not as good as in the rest of the panels. So I think that, that maybe... His uh, third wife, Gary, had a hand in this drawing backgrounds. Because we'll see later on in the story where there are panels, panels with only chisel. They're also a bit less good inked. And, I think. and we should and we should note that Garay was a very talented artist in her own oh, sure. right. Yeah. You know, she clearly didn't have like the experience doing comic book art that he did. Mm -hmm. um, but and he also did like hand off some of these duties occasionally to his previous wife as well right am i remembering that right i don't know but but i know that gary did uh, yeah she filled in the blacks she did the lettering and did some backgrounds so this was one of the first stories that she worked on yeah so i wouldn't be surprised if he said oh you just go ahead and ink the secondary characters the backgrounds and whatever right uh, and and in panel six, does that Scrooge, I, I kind of, he kind of looks like Christmas on Bear Mountain Scrooge to me yeah, yeah. in that sixth panel. Really nice one. Like he looks a little bit more um, like, like his original version. I don't know. All right. Well, uh, go for it. On to next page. Here we find Uncle Scrooge describing the mission to the kids. And with them. they have 30 days to produce those gold uh, teeth or else. But the problem is that uh, the gold teeth was uh, used by Scrooge to start his fortune. And that's why he now owns uh, uh, owes everything to Shiso Maksu. And that's why he sold it to buy a prospector's outfit. And this is, of course, something that Don Rosa uh, noticed and uh, he included Sifo McDuck and everything and the gold teeth in his stories. Right. And, and I read that before I even read this. <laughs> okay. But so... The conclusion is that since he no longer have he no longer got the gold teeth, they gotta find the original case of horse radish and bring it to Jamaica. But as Donald points out, it's impossible because it's at the bottom of the ocean. But hey, that won't stop the ducks. Right. It's it's an incredibly long shot, right? So um, exactly. we've got some we do have some really good stakes here. We have mm -hmm. a very coherent 
outline of the plot. Um, I do feel like that's a strong element of this story. And we are now four pages in, into the story. We know everything we need, every plot point. We know how much is at stake the entire fortune of Uncle Scrooge. So, of course, uh, we're now engaged in the story and we're ready to get on board on the ship that will take us on this treasure hunt. Right. And and we get our second element that deals with contracts here on this next page because the nephews do something very wise. Um, the ducks don't usually do this. Usually, Scrooge is able to kind of exploit them for... Uh, for chicken feed wages. Classically, it's 30 cents an hour. But in this situation, they say that, that the, the younger nephews have had um, trouble claiming wages. So they're going to make Scrooge sign a contract this time. <laughs> and, and as he mutters over the indignity of being made to sign this, he glosses over some fine print. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I really this makes me wonder what kind of fine print that Barks encountered while dealing with his lawyers. And that might also have been a starting point for this story. Yeah. I do something about fine print because this is the gimmick that runs through the entire story. Sure. Maybe there were some terms in his legal proceedings that he didn't become aware of until exactly. later. Yeah. Um, and so, so the Ducks launch... And, you know, they, they kind of, they kind of mentioned that the only clue as to the uh, sinking of the golden goose is that it sank somewhere off the, their side of Haiti. And, you know, he's, he's at least, he, Scrooge is very determined. He's got all the kinds of gear that he needs to look. Sure. And, and it's Swedish edition. It's, it's, of course, next to the white cliffs of Dover, mm -hmm. since we're at the, in the English channel. And I even changed the cliffs in the background in panel five to white cliffs to fit the oh. oh that's that's quite yeah. the the backgrounding sure on to next page they find a ship directly we're we're only on was it, was it it's on page five right yeah it's pretty early yeah they find uh, an old gallon and of course scrooge uh, brings out the <laughs> uh, diver's gear and uh, sinks into the ocean here and Commenting two minutes later, while sinking into the deeps, pressure's getting bad. And no bottom in sight. How deep is that wreck? And then Donald says, the radar, uh, the radar says that it's 3,000 fathoms. You must be almost to it. And of course, that's three and a quarter miles. Uh, and, and later on, in the final panel on this page, he explains while chasing Donald that it's about time you landlubbers learned that a fathom isn't an inch. It's six feet. And this joke is totally removed in the Swedish tradition. <laughs> ah. Ia says, uh, how much do you think a fathom is? End of line. Well, that's too bad. I, I yeah, really like bad. this. Uh, I really yeah. like this joke. It's one of my favorite parts in the story. This is the kind of humor that I really like. Um, one character not knowing a technical term and the other character teaching them. I learned about a fathom from literally reading this story. Uh, I'm just comparing the old Swedish translation. Uh, and in the first one from the 50s, it says, didn't you see it was 500 meters, which doesn't make sense. <laughs> Uh, apparently, oh, wow. Google tells me the deepest point in the Atlantic Ocean is, is uh, 27,000 and, and a half feet. So this okay. is pretty deep, but not but but it's a realistic depth. 
Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, these, this part of the story that we're in, Joachim, it, mm-hmm. it's going to kind of go along, right? Like this for a little while, they're going to be looking at various um, shipwrecks and Donald is going to take his own turn. And just think about this is the part of the story which is just fun and games. Because yeah. we know that they are on a treasure hunt. Now for some fun parts that will lighten up the story because we will get more serious later on. But yeah. It's just fun. That's a good point. It's kind of it's kind of like the sightseeing part because we get to yeah. see some different shipwrecks. Um, the shipwrecks look really neat. They're from different yeah. eras. Um, we get... We get these different, like Donald is kind of being a tourist, gawking at the different kinds of fish. Um, and, and those are some really neat panels. Um, yeah. But Scrooge Scrooge is yelling at him to keep him on track. And, and at some point, Donald comes across this little mysterious bit where he realizes, I'm not seeing any fish right here. Yeah. And of course, Uncle Scrooge on the next page yells at him, if you come to a place where there's a ship called the Golden Goose, wake up uh, long enough to give me a bus, will you? Because he's getting irritated. Why report there's no fish while they are they are on a treasure hunt? But right. this is, of course, uh, uh, very important later on. And, and, and then we get a red herring, speaking of fish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Donald sees, finds an old galleon, and inside there's a treasure chest. And we as readers... Of course, we think, oh, he found it. He found the whole horseradish. The, the treasure hunt is over. But he only finds diamonds and rubies and pieces of eight. And to our surprise, why, I mean, Scrooge would be delighted to find this in any other case. But when his entire fortune is at stake, this is just crap. Yeah. So we, we Chicken see, feed. Yeah. We, we see Uncle Scrooge chasing Donald uh, with his cane while the nephews are playing with the treasures in the final panel on this page. One of the very rare times where we'll see Scrooge very like disinterested in a, in a pretty big fortune. Yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun. On the next page, uh, the days passes. Right. Um, yeah. And, and this next page is really all about that passage of time, right? We kind of have a clock ticking in the background, like in, in the back of our mind. We know that they don't have all the time in the world. Um, and Scrooge is becoming forlorn because his time is running out. His chances are running out. So at some point, one of the nephews brings a lunch to Scrooge to cheer him up. Um, and this is that part where you mention that Scrooge calls it a sauce instead of a condiment. He, he asks about the sauce in the paper cup and the nephew tells him it's horseradish, which of course triggers Scrooge to be uh, to fly into a rage because horseradish is the cause of all his problems. It's it's very convenient, right? Uh, we've never heard any reference to horseradish that I know of in any other Barks comics, but but the story demands this part, um, and he he tosses the dinner over in a rage. And uh, why don't you tell us about what Donald notices? Yeah, he noticed that all of the fishes vanishes there's a ring of water around that horseradish where not a fish will swim so and that makes him think about the place he visited a few days ago and they turn the ship back down dives and now he makes the hottest find in undersea history as a, as the caption says here he finds the gallon under a coral ledge 
He, yeah. Got into it. I mean, Barks must have had some fun drawing this scenery because it, it's detail, and he wouldn't have done it if it hadn't enjoyed it. Right. But when Donald enters the wreckage here, he noticed that a dozen beams were sawed almost in two. So his conclusion is, of course, that Swindon Maxu was going to make sure that the horse radish never reached Jamaica. Yeah. And, of course, in the ship, Donald finds the horse radish. Yeah. Well, well sealed. Yeah. Very well sealed after 200 years. I find this... This is pretty cool, right? He goes out of his way to to make the shipwreck pretty concealed, first Mm -hmm. off. And it's interesting that it's, like, kind of painted as solving the mystery. The reader, of course, knows that that both McSue's are are devious fiends. So, you know, no one is going to be surprised that there was sabotage. Um, but it's, we needed to see it confirmed. Exactly. So um, the ducks haul the horseradish up and they celebrate, but Scrooge isn't quite ready to cheer too much because they, they only have three days uh, left of that original 30 days. And um, he clarifies that Jamaica is still two days away if they have a fair wind, but they seem to have been becalmed because we have no wind at this point. Not too much action on this page, but it does a good job of kind of getting us a little bit anxious, I'd say. Yeah, because it's a nice rhythm to it, because on the previous pages, we have had this outrage from Scrooge. The treasure hunt and now everything is calm and still that it's it's a, the calm before the storm <laughs> which yeah. is, which it actually is in this case because uh, on the next page the uh, in the morning the wind has dried entirely so now they kind of get in panicked and uh, Dewey is radioing the ne- nearest port for Tug as uh, so they can be towed to Jamaica but also they see these dark clouds and there's a hurricane coming so even if they found all the horse reddish they still have problems yeah this is nicely set up right the i think i think barks does a good job of of ratcheting up the tension here we we can tell what's coming it's it's that eerie calm as you said by the way i totally glossed over i need to comment how great scrooge looks in his snappy like sailing garb right we i I can't believe I forgot this, right? Donald is like perpetually wearing a sailor outfit and, and and Barks never does this with Scrooge and he almost never dresses him for the occasion on these adventures. So I think sometimes when he's in cold weather, Barks will go out of his way to show him wearing cold weather gear. But but to the best of my knowledge, this, this is the only time he, he does this. Could be. But as I said, it's always nice to see him in some kind of other clothes. Yeah. And of course, he, here it's all, it all makes sense with uh, Donald having his sailor suit and the nephews have their small sailor hats and everything. Yeah, but, but, but he looks delightful. So we get this neat sequence where Scrooge is Scrooge is trying to um, convey over the radio how urgent it is. And he opens up his purse strings. He he promises a million bucks to um, whoever can give them the toe that they so desperately need. We get a really cool panel of the ship in silhouette, the calmed ship broadcasting its SOS. And we see we see it being received. So we know that um, whoever is on the island is going to 
going to put it out there. You know, they, they say that maybe someone will risk the storm to give you a tow. And then mm-hmm. we basically see the, the storm strike. Uh, th- these are some pretty great panels of water pouring on Scrooge looking very determined. Um, Donald looks very, you know, he looks like he fits in in his sailor garb. Yeah. And and they end the story making a good 60 knots. Yeah. And you can tell, you remember the Golden Helmet story? It's been discussed. His um, Sparks referencing uh, Hal Foster's Prince Valiant. Mm-hmm. And here we are again. I bet that, that Carl had... Uh, his uh, old Prince Valiant Sunny Pages at hand and drawing this storm at sea sequence and uh, you can tell that he enjoyed doing this yeah big waves night scene and everything here right and on this page the follows uh, the one you talked about two-thirds are only uh, shots of the ship from afar no close-ups no ducks at all we just see this storm so we can understand how dangerous it is the mm-hmm. ship is breaking apart and the fifth panel is just one long big panel mostly black so the readers now understand how serious this threat is and then cut to the villain and his companion sipping on drinks or maybe drinking some eating some ice cream on a at a hotel in Havana uh, so it's, it's a nice contrast our heroes risk their lives the villains are sipping drinks comfortably yeah exactly yeah. and and you sense that mixu is like basically already spending his fortune exactly exactly i bet they have a first class hotel uh, best rooms best room service and drinks and everything and then he gets the news yeah but he thinks that old mcduck will never find the golden goose and the radio says flash an unusual SOS comes from the Haitian hurricane area. And then on the next page, he gets to hear the news that Donald, that Uncle Scrooge offers a million dollars for a powerboat to tow his schooner to Jamaica. I like his response to the radio. You know how he's outraged. He can't spend my money like that. <laughs> but but then he his face, like, he goes into shock as he realizes what that means. And the radio kind of makes yeah. a joke about, about Scrooge's mission to deliver a load of horseradish. Because, of course, in English, um, horseradish is like an idiom for like BS or, or you know, baloney, someone, someone being full of it. And, and so, so McSue is, is upset and he kind of goes into a tizzy. And, and his, uh, his accomplice there that we, we only just get introduced to, his name is Joe, right? He's just a tough. He kind of calms him down and t- counsels him. You just got to find out where they are. Um, and, and we, we kind of know what's coming, but then we flash back to the ducks really floundering in this terrible storm. Um, and, and when Scrooge instructs Dewey to keep radioing, we get this neat echo of the last time that he looked towards um, that, you know, in that panel, it's, it's a repeat, an echo of that scene. Uh, and Dewey just tells him, hey, I've got news for you. The radio washed overboard two hours ago. Um, I really like the nephew's expression there. Exactly. It's so sarcastic. Yeah. Wonderful. This is a very sarcastic story overall. We don't often hear Scrooge himself, but you had pointed out when he was radioing to Donald while he was diving, he was sarcastic. Yeah. But on the next page, Uncle Scrooge sort of almost gives up hope in the first panel saying, oh, what a pickle I'm in. 
how awful to feel so helpless. And we can see how devastated it is. The water is pouring in over the ship. The next panel, one of the nephews can't. We see one of the nephews saying that the rudder's broken off. The compass shows they're drifting, drifting straight sideways of her course. And uh, Scrooge just can't stand it. So he gathers all the, the ducks, trying to make this as comfortable as possible. So they go inside. And this is a wonderful panel coming up next, panel six. Such a yeah. contrast to the rest of the page where it's all chaos. Inside, it's all quiet. And the nephew says, comfy. Oh, very. And they're up to their necks almost with water. Right. It, it's a sort of... Uh, is it called comic relief? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Little moment of lightness there. Exactly. And then, pow, boom, bam, something happens outside. What can be worse than a storm that threatens their life? It's just a Maxuna gunboat pumping shells onto them from, a, from point blank range. So, from a storm to gun threat, everything is going bad for the ducks here. Yeah. I really like Donald's reaction, his expression there, and I like the tension that it creates as as he sees it before the reader does. Exactly. It's such a well-executed and well-planned panel. Nothing unnecessary. We only see his fear. Because have we seen seen him so afraid in any other panel before this during the storm? I don't, I don't no. think so. Yeah, you're right. It's it's not the storm that has him terrified exactly so, so now we understand how bad this new situation is right and i really like this next sequence i think this is one of the strongest sequences of the story we we kind of see chisel mcsue at his most villainous and mm. we don't you know barks sometimes his villains are scary sometimes they're competent sometimes they're like incompetent but in this one chisel is just like He's very unpleasant and he's very vicious, right? And he's he's cutthroat in this one just because he's firing a large artillery um, repeatedly. He has this really like frightening grin on his face and, and he, he eventually blows their ship apart. It's a really spectacular panel. Exactly. And now I don't have the 1970 Swedish edition at hand, but I, I know that three pages were cut. And if I rem remember right, it's probably most likely this sequence because it's so violent. It is. Yeah. Usually yeah. when when um, the panels were cut, when the pages mm -hmm. were cut, it was usually for violent or, or scary content. Right. Yeah. Or sometimes like, I guess, just issues like issues that were controversial. So, but I don't think that this has been ever been cut in the U.S. Even though, right? Oh. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, if this is just another of those examples of you guys can't really publish anything with this level of gunplay at this point, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, we can. But back in the seventies, I know that there were lots of censoring going on with lots of stories. Yeah, and it really escalates. You know, when when he blows the ship apart, he and his accomplice turn around and he kind of ponders how oh their ship has sunk or it's on the verge it's going to sink without a trace with no surviving witnesses to tell what happened and chisel takes this really dark turn here because he's he's his thought balloon is tell us that he's kind of pondering hey no surviving witnesses and he turns on his accomplice joe here <laughs> and smashes his head into the side of the boat and then throws him overboard. He's just trying to, it's pure killing here. 
Yeah. <laughs> this but is a pretty violent attempted murder. Yes, yes. In a Disney comic, I'm surprised that Disney back in the 50s allowed this to be published when they, in the previous issue of Uncle Scrooge, uh, Back to the Klondike, that was heavy censored. Yeah. Uh, uh, fighting. Not just, and that was not even a, a killing as this is. So, yeah. But you, I know we, yeah. I know we talked at length about that one when we recorded that episode. Um, yeah. Did do you think it's because I, I don't know it's maybe it's because the fight was like so just the detail was so intense and the camera cast such a loving eye and there was a woman present. I don't know. Yeah, but um, in this case, well, Joe manages to survive by uh, hanging on to this, uh, what's it called? The rope. Right. His foot is stuck in, in a rope hanging from the boat. And this is um, sort of gives a clue to what's coming up later on in this story. Because Barker's always good at planting these small plot things and what we could expect next in the story. But anyway, Joe's, uh, Joe's manages to uh, climb back uh, from the motorboat. And since Shizumaksu also fell overboard, he's now left at sea, uh, left to, to his own. The ducks are making a raft, and, and that goes fast. <laughs> <laughs> How do they make a raft uh, in just a few minutes from the uh, sinking ship? But anyway, uh, they managed to survive the sinking ship. Uh, Joe has left the scene, and Shizumaksu is left drowning. What will happen next? Yeah, it's pretty dramatic. You're right. The raft building is, is is pretty convenient. Although I guess there have been a few stories where they've made some kind of raft before. Maybe they're just experienced now. And of course, they had some extra rope from lashing it together because we do see next to the next to the box of horseradish, there is a rope there. Yes. Um, I I really like Joe's little his last character beat where he he reforms you know yeah. where we kind of feel sorry for him that Mixu turned on him so quickly and and i think the reader is meant to to sense that his promise to go home and be a square because his mother always told him what what had happened if he got mixed up with crooks i, I think we're supposed to read that as very genuine so yeah. I like that. I don't necessarily like how underdeveloped he is. I felt like I could have cared a little bit more about him if Barks had had another um, four to eight to 10 pages to pad this story out a little bit. But I do like how he leaves us. Exactly. Usually, Barks gives his villain funny names. This guy is just called Joe. Joe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's just he's just Joe. He's not he's not anything else. The next sequence, we get one page of the ducks on the rafts with with Scrooge really at his low point, right? He the ducks are trying to tell him, you know, why would you bring that horseradish on board. We have no chance of getting it there tomorrow. Scrooge makes this really kind of touching admission. You know, he says, you're right, nephew, but uh, my case is hopeless, but I just haven't the strength to give up, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think he's saying he, he just can't bear the thought of not being the richest duck in the world anymore. It, it all, it's almost, he would have to be stronger than he is to give up. Yeah, yeah. And they ponder, they, they wish that McSue would get a bad break. And just at that moment, they do see him drifting into uh, in the ocean. And, um, you know, Donald is able to 
to grab his arm as, as Mixu pathetically begs to be saved. And this is really the like, this is kind of the fulcrum of the story, right? This is a very important moment where we see Scrooge just pondering the advantage that he's got. And I, I, I really like every expression on his face during this overall sequence. Yeah, especially in panel six. It's one of those panels where we can see the character thinking without reading in any thought balloon or anything. It's that Bark's far away look. No one yeah. does like a far away look better than Carl Barks. You're right. And on to the next page, Uncle Scrooge is very determined. He will not save Shizumaksu. But then again, as in Back to the Klondike, he says, I'm a soft old fool. I can't let the rat down. And of course, he saves the villain. He does something that he might not want to do, but he is a soft old fool. So Shizu is saved. He's on the raft. And there he discovers that it's overloaded with the horse radish. <laughs> and of course, he's happy. He pushes into the water. He thinks, okay, I won. It's all gone. Lost forever. And then the expression on Scrooge's face. He's just staring at the water, staring at this lost fortune that lies there in the deep. It's all over now. And to top that off, Shizu Maksu now wants to kill the, the five ducks. Yeah, this is, this is, I think this is the best part of the story. Yeah, definitely. Right. This, this is, um, it's very tense. So we emotion. Yeah, And we'll see the characters, what drives them, and, and the personality of Scrooge. Yeah, we see Scrooge being very human, right? He's very tempted um, to make his life easier. He, he doesn't have to save him. It is a choice. He has to affirmatively choose to do it. But he's going to be able to live with himself. He knows he couldn't have lived with himself. Yeah, a one-dimensional character. I mean, Barks always treated his characters as humans. Yeah. And um, boy, McSue just looks, he's just such a rotter on this page. You just, you hate him so much. Have you ever yeah. hated, have you ever hated a villain and, and just found them as distasteful? Like I, I, I've seen Glomgold stories where like he's got a little bit, a tiny bit of humanity or where we, we appreciate him because he's that echo of Scrooge before Barks, you know, just gave up and made him very villainous. And, and Magica is just hilarious and the Beagle Boys are hapless. But, but Mixu. Yeah, here they save his life. And in the next moment, he tries to kill them. He's so darn evil. And of yeah. course, this scene was later reused by Barks in the 60s, uh, in the story, The Great Wig Mystery. Right. Where the, the pig, what, what's his name in this story? Yeah, it's the um, the McSwine, whatever whatever his version. It's, it's, it's one of the McSwine versions, right? Yeah. I don't it's, remember his name in that one. Mr. Scalpnik. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's a great uh, name. Yeah. It's a similar scene in the end of that story. Yeah. Where the duck saves his life and he returns their favor by trying to kill it. Yeah. Yeah. Barks had some had some pretty good villains. I I feel like he could have read. We'll talk about it. But it's interesting that he's a one off villain. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very satisfying scene on the next page. Mixu <laughs> is about to bash them overboard. Donald just asks all the ducks. Haven't we taken enough guff from this tough? And he rolls up his sleeves 
And, and all the ducks reply affirmatively, yes. And they beat the living snot out of Chisel McSue. And the yeah. next, it's, it's great, right? Like the audience yeah. cheers. This is what all the readers have waited for. Yeah. Uh, and it, of course, in a Disney story, revenge by hitting someone might not be the, the Disney thing to do, but it works. Well, and, and they are being defensive in this specific yeah. moment, right? He was about to use a giant oar to bash him off. Um, so by the next day, they finally get a break of good weather. But, but you know, it's come too late for Scrooge. He's just laying there forlornly. McSue, of course, has been tied up and he's cackling that in one hour, he is going to be the richest tycoon in the world. And boy, think about Scrooge in that spot, you know, sitting there while this man um, gloats, knowing that Scrooge doesn't doesn't have it in him to toss him overboard. And and things keep turning up as they spot a seaplane, which turns out to be a Coast Guard that has been looking for the McDuck party. And the, the page closes out with the nephews telling the, the crew that their uncle will pay them well to fly him to Jamaica to Scrooge's confusion. Yeah. Why should he want to go to Jamaica? He asks. And the nephew replies to deliver this horseradish. Because here is the reason why Barks put all this rope next to the horseradish a few pages earlier. Because they, they had figured out that Maxu would kick it overboard. So they tied it to a line, to, they tied a line to the box. So it's, it's all safe. And now it's Shizzle Maxu's turn to be devastated. Yeah. Of course, he feels that he's been robbed. Because he, he, he can't see his own, that he's doing anything wrong. So it's, it's, it's a kind of nice turn. Things happen very, very fast here. It's, um, things happen very fast on these few pages. It's like the advantage, right? The, um, the terms, the, the, the ducks, yeah. they, the advantage changes. It shifts so quickly. The, the tables yeah. turn. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're back. And after we see that Chisel Maxu says that he's been robbed, it's all happy ducks uh, on the pages, on the panels thereafter. Well, happy Scrooge, not so happy because he owes uh, <laughs> the other ducks $226. And now he thinks that's a fortune. <laughs> And one of the nephews says, pay up or we enforce this contract. And Scrooge says, sobbing, that he can't afford that. But, and then it comes, perhaps you should read the small print. The small print, Scrooge ex ex exclaims, did I get hooked? Yes. Uh, and the nephew says, it says that you will pay on demand or you will eat that box of horseradish. And of course, Scrooge has to pay up. Yeah. So it's uh, from all the previous violence. We now have this funny ending that Barks planned for in the beginning of the story. It, it ties it very well together. Yeah, it's it's a great triumphant moment for the nephews, right? Um, yeah. the, the young readers reading this, they, they feel great, I think, because the nephews had their clever idea of tying it secretly to that line. Um, and then we get to see that payoff with the fine print. It, it's a nice little ending beat. I wonder how many kids try this with the, their parents, signing contracts with some tiny fine prints at the bottom. Right. Saying that they, they, they would get next to ice cream or something. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
so that's it. That's the yeah. that's the very brisk adventure story, the the horseradish story. Yeah. It really clips along, it really flies. There are there are some stories that I think could maybe have benefited from editing and maybe they don't need to be 32 pages. But mm-hmm. like this is the big question for me of this story, right? I guess there's two questions. Is it as good as most people think and is it too short? And like, maybe I'm kind of um, showing my bias here, but I I do think this one suffers a bit from being a little bit too short. I think it's enough because it it has its quiet moments. It has its adventure scenes. It's not too long, not too short. I mean, we we have these fun and games pages in the beginning, uh, the treasure hunt, the the dives and we have the excitement of a storm i mean he devotes almost two pages mm-hmm. uh, uh where well, the is waiting for the storm to begin i i think so, you're right about that part i think the storm is paced perfectly can i yeah. tell you what what i missed though sure i missed the third contract gag okay i needed one more right <laughs> barks is usually really good when he's got a good running gag um yeah. I I think you know we've it's it's more like big big theme little theme right we've got the big overarching aspect with the contract and the fine print and then we've got the small one but I would love to have seen some other small print element in this to to do that sort of comedic rule of three that he was usually really yeah. good about. Yeah. I, I needed a little bit more with Joe. I, I either needed Joe to not be there at all, or I needed I needed a little bit more development to make me either hate him more or love him more. But he just kind of he just kind of jets off and that's all. Exactly. Why I mean if he had been in the beginning of the story together with Chisel when they entered Scrooge McDuck's uh, money bin, I think that would have benefited the story, just like the lawyers in the the lawyer in the um, Golden Helmet story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or or he could have walked in midway because I did like I did like the silhouette introduction. I did like the solitary man. I also needed I needed I needed one more flashback. You know, I needed I think I needed that to bookend or something. I. I I like this story. I think this is a really good story. But when I, this has been an interesting and unique one for me, Joachim, because it's the, like I said, it's the only one that I barely remember. Yes. It, it just didn't it didn't leave its mark and i've been looking forward to going back to this because it's almost like reading it for the first time i remembered yeah. it so poorly yeah same here actually and uh, it, it's a, it's a, okay it's it's a, got some superb great scenes especially towards the end but mm-hmm. it's squeezed in between back to the Klondike and the hawaiian story a very romantic story that are, i think are more memorable than this one i totally agree i think just just by dint of where it is like i i have i have such high expectations for it it's uncle scrooge number three um (laughs) and if you compare this story to many other disney comics that was not by barks by this time it's 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 a masterpiece yes you always compare barks Barks to barks at the top of his game with all of his stories so right it's a good story 
it's not a fantastic story in my opinion it works yeah now it, it did a lot right like you said the the ocean stuff it, i mean he this this he's so comfortable he so loves drawing the ocean every bit of that is just great i i do like chisel mcsu as a villain what do you think should he have come back well he did in some european stories no doubt. Yes. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember reading about him in an, in a story. Hold on here. Um, yeah, but well, while uh, you look, I'll just I'll just ponder. Like, if he had come back in another Bark story, right? Would that might have had more impact, right? Yeah. Because like we really remember that first appearance of Blomgold and that first appearance of Magic on the Beagle Boys. I I do love to hate McSue, but I, I like his character design a lot too i'm trying to find his second appearance yeah here he is this is a story that i read uh, as a kid in the late must have been uh, 1980s says here mm -hmm. uh, the brute the brute's battle axe oh i remember that uh, one yes it was published in the u.s back in 92 yeah canute, canute the brute's canute. battle axe uh, drawn by Bicar. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was my first encounter with uh, shizel maksu I guess it would have been mine as well, technically, although yeah. I'd, I'd obviously don't remember it that well. Yeah, because um, back in the 80s, uh, the editors at Gutenberg Husno Egmont in Copenhagen, they tried to make sort of new bark stories drawn in bark style by mm -hmm. mostly the car. Yeah. And they were inspired by his storytelling techniques and they brought back some characters like Shizu Maksu and Flintark Rongold, etc. Who wouldn't? you know, love to use Bark's characters, right? It's yeah. it's a natural um, tendency, I'm sure. Well, let's see. Let's um, let's go go over. We're we're getting some good reflections in for this. Well, I'm I'm going to talk about the consensus, and then we can keep reflecting as much as we want. So, you know, I I did mention that this one is very well regarded, even if it's not my favorite or yours. There are a lot of Duck fans who would list this as one of uh, as one of their favorites, and if you check it out on Index, it's currently got an eight point four rating out of ten, which is good for number fourteen overall out of all mm -hmm. nearly forty one thousand Disney comic stories. I do have to imagine it's a little bit inflated just because it's Uncle Scrooge number three. It is during his golden age where he could pretty much do no wrong. And of course, like you mentioned, it's referenced so heavily in, in Don Rosa's Great Life and Times series. Mm -hmm. So it, I think it just, it feels very like Scrooge canon to people. Yeah, yeah I guess so. You you did me the favor of mentioning that uh, Chisel McSue has been used again, I think in at least mm -hmm. a couple of stories, um, that Battle Axe one being one of them, never by Barks. Um, Rosa, of course, will have referenced him in, in the life and times and, and Rosa will have referenced, you know, Seafoam McDuck and, and the gold teeth themselves. We do see that moment in the life and times when Scrooge turns the teeth into his stake for, uh, in, into his prospecting outfit. This one was one of the stories that also got adapted into an episode of DuckTales. 
the oh really yeah the original ducktales series i think there were only about 20 stories roughly i'm probably getting that wrong that were like adapted into episodes and and this is one of them it is an episode called down and out in duckburg um, mm-hmm. It uses an original character instead of Chisel McSue, and they're not delivering horseradish. Oh, I think they're delivering marbles, if I remember right. Okay. But but in the same way that I somehow didn't get to see the read the story for a long time, it was one of the like small number of DuckTales episodes that I like missed out on when I was a Scrooge obsessed kid in 19. 19- 87 so i i have no memory of the episode whatsoever okay i was so much looking forward to these duck tales uh, tv cartoon as a kid and well say was it 87 um i think it's did it start in 86 i started watching it i think in 87 if i remember right I, could, I, 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 I must, must have been around 12 then. And I read about them in Gladstone Comics. You know, the first issue of Uncle Scrooge Adventures was originally to be a DuckTales comics. And I saw the ads for the for this in the comics. But the thing was, in Sweden, it was only shown in Channel 3. There was not a channel I had. But I had right. friends seeing it. Oh, it seemed to be so good. And I saw it a few years later. I mean, that was too late to be hooked on it as, as a sort of a kid yeah from the kid's perspective so i was so disappointed when i saw it and i yeah i i hear you i loved it as a kid i discovered the comics probably like six to nine months before i discovered the show so even then i was like oh this isn't right they didn't get this right but but I loved Scrooge and Donald so much that, and, and the theme song was so rousing and the animation was very strong compared to most other things on TV at the time um, that, that for all of its flaws, I think it's easy to understand why a generation of kids, you know, really loved it. Yeah. 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 So any other thoughts, Joachim, before we talk about, uh, before we wrap it up and talk about some favorite panels? There's another story called Delivery Dilemma uh, from the um, from 1964 in Comics and Stories number 291 that I think is kind of related to this story. Uh, it's reported that it's not written by Barks, but I think that they heavily rewrote it. Hmm. And it's also a story about delivering something and fine print. In this case, the Beagle Boys in disguise wants Uncle Scrooge to deliver wild rabbit eggs for the king's children. And of course, there is a fine print that he has to sign, he signed away his entire fortune to the Beagle Boys if he fails to deliver those eggs. So it's kind of similar. You see, it's kind of related to the, to the other story. Yeah, the for sure. Is, uh, was the original writer uh, inspired by Bark's story or did Barks add this kind of plot thing to the story afterwards. And do we know who the original writer was? I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good concept, especially if you're a kid. The, the idea of contracts, they, they're such a powerful piece of paper. So mm-hmm. it works on an adult and a kid level, I think. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and highlight a few. Joachim, um, are there any panels that really stand out to you? Oh, good favorite panels. Favorite panels to me, it's always the emotional panels, like in the end here, where we see you mentioned the bark stare, where we see Scrooge thinking. 
I love that panel. Yeah, yeah, that sequence is great where where the ducks are really, where Scrooge is really pondering, you know, and thinking. I also like his kind of gritted, we can see a little bit of his teeth, but it's not creepy like his ancestor, um, where he's like got that sort of steely determination, you know, that panel eight on that page. Yeah, and of course, the magnificent title panel. Yeah. That sucks the reader into the story. Yeah, that's an easy call. I I really like the uh, silhouetted... Um, the ducks just beating up Chisel McSue on that raft, <laughs> yeah. too. I think that's a great panel. Um, yeah. Maybe Barks did it in silhouette because he knew that since in back to the Klondike, that a scene had been cut away. Yeah. So, so he, he played it safe here. Right. You, you also notice, too, that it's... Uh, it's an action-packed panel, but it's a very modestly sized one. So yeah, he's it's he might be playing that game there, hiding his yeah. violence. Similarly, that violence, that pretty violent scuffle between McSue and Joe, he mm-hmm. really, I think, got away with what he could just right at the edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of um, that unusual scene that I mentioned before, where we only see the ship and not the ducks. It's such yeah. an unusual page in a distant comic where actually no regular distant comics are shown at all yeah that's a good point boy the shipwrecks all look really nice as well there really are a lot of panels in this one i just i wish the story added up to a little bit more um it's it's a very enjoyable one it's just not never one that i was gonna sit down and, and read um, every night for a week, you know, the way I probably did when I first got back to the Klondike or any other number of stories. Awesome. Any other, um, anything else? Oh, I think we covered yeah, most. I think we did. Um, so I definitely invite listeners to drop us a line, you know, on Facebook, the, um, the podcast does have its own Instagram now, and we're on Twitter, um, Barks Remarks for everything. Join us, please, next week. Oh, um, you can maybe a French listener, a uh, French and German listener can clear up my questions about those titles. Um, and uh, next week or, or next adventure length story, we get to cover the many Huni mystery. So thanks. Uh, thanks again, Joachim. Thank you. It's been great fun. Mm-hmm.